Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. Today we are kicking off a brand new series where Jeremy Bacon is going to talk to us about the Sermon on the Mount. In today's introductory episode, Jeremy Bacon is going to walk us through what our reaction is to the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives a personal testimony of how Jesus and his teachings have impacted his life and how it will impact yours. Now let's dive in. Welcome to Sermon on the Mount. I'm Jeremy Bacon, and the goal of this channel is to unpack little snippets of the Sermon on the Mount to try to help you hear what Jesus is saying to you. In fact, I want to focus on the idea of audience reaction to this sermon. If we really hear what Jesus is saying, it makes sense that our reaction should probably be about the same as the reaction of the people who were actually sitting on the hill in front of Jesus. There were birds, there were flowers. Jesus will literally point to them in the course of of doing this sermon. It all sounds very serene. But when Jesus is done and the crowds head home, their reaction isn't Wasn't that a nice way to spend the afternoon? It is clear that their reaction is more extreme. But the English doesn't do a good job of conveying the intensity of it. Most English translations from Matthew 7.28 say that the crowds were amazed or astounded. So, yeah, it's a big deal. But neither of those English words really capture the violence of the word Matthew uses in this verse. The Greek word exaplesonta, it combines the words for to hit or strike with the word out. So it's the idea of hitting something out. The only English expressions I can think of that capture that are way too anachronistic. If we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount, where else would we start other than in the trenches of World War I? In World War I, for the first time, human beings were exposed to large-scale artillery bombardment. Now, anyone could have predicted the impact of an artillery shell physically on a human being. Obviously, that's going to be horrific. But doctors behind the front lines started to see things that they couldn't process. Soldiers were coming back from the trenches with no visible injuries But there was clearly something wrong with these guys. Mentally, they were not okay. Now, this was way before we crystallized the idea of post-traumatic stress disorder. On the fly, these doctors were trying to explain what's wrong with these men. The best theory they could come up with was that concussive force, like the actual air pressure created by these artillery explosions had literally rattled something loose in these guys' brains. 
the term they came up with to describe this condition was shell shock. That's almost exactly the picture Matthew is going for in describing Jesus' audience. They're shell shocked. Something hit them and blew their brain out the back of their head. It's like that emoji with the, the mushroom cloud coming out of his head. They have had their minds blown. And they walk home almost in a daze, just going, What just happened? That was Jesus' audience. That's a good indication that if we don't have that kind of reaction to this sermon, we may have listened to it, but we didn't really hear it. If you walk away from the Sermon on the Mount and you're not shaken, if you don't feel like you have been confronted by something, then you may not have really heard what Jesus is saying. Now, I'm not trying to judge. Before I started the study that led to writing a book on the Sermon on the Mount, I was definitely familiar with this sermon. I'm a preacher's kid. I've been in the church my entire life. Jesus' most famous sermon was certainly in the air. Then I went on to get a bachelor's and a master's degree in theology. I was actually in ministry for a brief time. That didn't work out. But even after that, the new church I joined, I would teach classes there. Then eventually in 2018, I was getting ready for my third week-long trip to do some Bible training for a group of Maasai pastors in southern Kenya. My idea was to use the Sermon on the Mount as kind of a working text to try to illustrate all the different interpretive tools you can use for understanding the Bible. In preparation for that, I started memorizing and dissecting Matthew 5 through 7. But it very quickly became obvious that I wasn't the one doing the dissecting. I would come to some particular part of this way of living Jesus presents, and it was like the text was saying to me, you aren't doing that. Now, I could have just ignored it and gone about my business, but the text itself explicitly says, don't do that. It's the final paragraph in the Sermon on the Mount says that you are a fool if you don't make these teachings the foundation for how you live your life. The wise man is the one who hears them and does them. The Sermon on the Mount was challenging my entire way of life. But it went a lot deeper than that. I couldn't escape the question that I have spent my entire life in American cultural Christianity. Why hadn't I ever been challenged like this 
before. It was an indication that there was something deeply wrong. But the challenge went even bigger than that. I realized this kingdom that Jesus is presenting is an entirely different worldview. The Sermon on the Mount was blowing apart my life, my culture, my entire view of reality. Because Jesus was trying to knock all of that out of me so he could invite me into something new. Now, I want to ask big picture question. What is this sermon about? Now, if you do a quick Google search, half the stuff you're going to find is going to say something about how this is Jesus' most famous sermon. And it is. But why? What is this sermon about that makes it so special? We talked about audience reaction to this sermon, that Matthew is almost explicitly saying that this sermon blew Jesus' audience's mind. But when they walk away from this sermon, their focus isn't on any of the actual content of the sermon. Their main impression as they walk away has to do with Jesus himself. They're like, we've never heard anyone talk like this guy before. There is something different about him. They walk away from the Sermon on the Mount focused on Jesus. Now, it may actually be a little easy to miss, but this sermon actually says a lot about Jesus himself. The book I wrote, Sermon on the Mount, it has a chapter where I try to kind of detail everything this sermon says about Jesus. What I want to look at is the picture Matthew draws in the chapters leading up to the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 1 through 4, the picture he paints of Jesus and how that picture sets up the Sermon on the Mount itself. Now, to understand what Matthew's doing in chapters 1 through 4, you have to get that people in the ancient world tended to think collectively. They would focus on the group rather than the individual, uh, like when it comes to leaders. They had this sense that a leader somehow embodies the entire group. I mean, in a sense, the leader is the people. So, oh, give you an example. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, if the entire community sins, then the guilt offering they're supposed to bring is a bull. On the other hand, if the high priest sins, just one guy, he has to bring the exact same sacrifice as if the entire community sins. Why? Because as an anointed leader of God's people, he embodies the community. Well, if this is true for normal leaders, how much more so would it be true for the Messiah, the ultimate anointed leader of God's people? 
chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew introduces Jesus as the Messiah. Then he spends the next four chapters emphasizing parallels between Jesus' life and the history of Israel. So, way back in Genesis, God promises to Abraham that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But his wife and his son Isaac's wife, Rebekah, are barren. Isaac prays for Rebekah, and she conceives Jacob and Esau. Jacob, of course, will have his name changed to Israel. So Israel himself is the miraculous child of a promise. Matthew chapter 1, Mary is a virgin, but she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is also the miraculous child of a promise. At the end of Exodus, when Israel is an old man, he, uh, there's a famine in the land, so he relocates his entire family, kids, grandkids, everyone, and Israel goes down to Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, because of the threat from Herod, Jesus goes down to Egypt. After some time in the book of Exodus, God sends Moses and the Israelites come up out of Egypt. Later in Matthew 2, some time has passed, so Jesus comes up out of Egypt. Now, immediately after leaving Egypt, the Israelites go through the water of the Red Sea. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes through the water of the Jordan River. For Israel, the next step after passing through the water is to go into the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, the very next verse after Jesus comes up out of the water, he goes into the wilderness. In these chapters, Matthew quotes a lot of prophecies from the Old Testament. Out of Egypt I have called my son. But if you go back to the Old Testament and read these in context, many don't seem to be predicting anything at all. They're just telling the story of Israel's history. Because that's the point. Matthew shows Jesus recapitulating the history of Israel because as Messiah, there is a sense in which he is Israel. So, Matthew just spent four chapters showing Jesus walk through Israel's history step by step, going right up to the time of the wilderness. Now, in Israel's story, what's the next event in the story? It's a pretty big one, probably the defining moment in Israel's history. Moses, Sinai, and the giving of the law. So, if you're a Jewish person reading Matthew's gospel, and after a time in the wilderness, Jesus walks up a mountain and starts talking, there's no way you're not going to think of Mount Sinai. Now, at this point, most commentators will say that Jesus is being presented as the new Moses. And that's not wrong, but of course he's the new Moses. He's everything. 
But look at the way Matthew paints this picture at the beginning of chapter 5. In Exodus, when Moses goes up the mountain, he's not the one talking. When Jesus goes up the mountain, he is. In fact, the signature phrase of all the prophets is, Thus saith the Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' signature phrase is, You have heard that it was said, But I tell you. In this replaying of the Sinai story, Matthew isn't putting Jesus in the place of Moses. He's putting Jesus in the place of the voice of God. Now, remember Hebrew parallelism. In Hebrew poetry, two lines don't rhyme sounds, they rhyme ideas. That They look at the same thing in different ways. So in Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted on account of righteousness. In the very next verse, he says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted on account of me. Jesus is paralleled to righteousness itself. Now, there are a lot of great systems of thought out there, and I am all about finding common ground with the ethical systems of other religions. But at the end of the day, as Christians, our ethical system is not a list of rules. It is a person. Jesus' audience walks away from this sermon stunned because in these words, in this word, they just encountered the God of the universe. The most important thing about the Sermon on the Mount is not what it's about, but whom it is about. Because the Sermon on the Mount is, as it, at its core, an invitation into the very heart of God. If you want to join us on this journey, hit subscribe, all that good stuff. If you don't want to wait, there's a link to where you can get the book I wrote on the Sermon on the Mount. It is a much more thorough walk through the sermon, not skipping anything. But only do that if you are ready to let Jesus challenge any and every area of your life. Because if you let him, he will. Because he wants to invite you to something new. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope it was encouraging to you. Now, stay tuned next week. We've got more great content on the Sermon on the Mount. If you are interested in getting Jeremy Bacon's book, you can check out the description. Uh, there will be a link there. Um, as always, thank you for listening to our podcast, and I hope you guys have a great week.